All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Adam Lane Smith. Adam is an attachment specialist and a two-time number one Amazon best-selling novelist and a retired licensed psychotherapist specialising in trauma and attachment with experience in both clinical and correctional mental health settings. That includes his work in the California justice system where he treated inmates facing the death penalty. Adam worked for years as a licensed psychotherapist and now focuses his specialty as an attachment specialist. Through his new role, Adam helps people build a new foundation for their life. Fixing attachment issues as our core means you can transform your relationships in marriage, dating, work, friendship and family. By showing his clients how to repair their attachment wounds, Adam teaches people how to open up to others, find their voice, receive the love they've always wanted and live without fear. And now, let's get to the interview. If you had to explain who you were, now you do an amazing job, you know, you're healing people, putting them back together. How on earth do you explain what you do? Because you've created this industry for yourself and you're so successful. But why was it not already filled? And, you know, why is there not like tons of research already in this area, do you think? Mm. So I am not just an attachment specialist. I am the attachment specialist. And I've had that because I had attachment issues myself as a child and as a young man. And I fixed them back when nobody was talking about attachment. I didn't know what it was. And I said, what on earth did I just do? Why is my life better? And what's the name for any of this? And I looked around and saw so many other people suffering too. So I went to school, got my master's degree in psychology. That was six years. Then I spent three more years apprenticing under under therapists so that I could get my license as a psychotherapist. And through graduate school, they told us, attachment, here, no, this doesn't matter. And I said, is this that thing? No, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter. We just need to learn to the diagnoses here. And attachment mm-hmm. diagnosis is only a fit for children. And if adults have attachment issues, it's always a personality disorder. Don't worry about attachment theory. It's not important. You don't need to know it. And it took me until I was out into the field, until I was practicing with clients. I had a I had a reputation for working with the most severe cases that nobody else could fix. And I just could walk in and say, well, this is how this fits together. And let's just fix this and this and this. And they'd go, I've had five therapists and no one has ever seen it that way before. How did you know? And I said, I, I just knew it was just the underlying piece. I started doing research. And there were a few, very few people on earth who at the time were even mentioning attachment. And I found it, dove into it, and just grabbed hold of it with both hands. And I started training under uh, with it. I started writing books about it. I started training other healthcare professionals about it. It was the piece that clicked. 
instead of an illness system of mental health, I was looking at a response system with mental health, that mental illnesses were responsive and, and responding to environmental issues and attachment issues. So when we fix the attachment issues, mental, illth, mental illnesses, quote unquote, started to go away. And so I started training this and working with this. And I said, I want to take this international. And my licensing board said, well, if you do anything outside of this, the one state in the US that you're licensed in, we will treat it as therapy and you'll be legally liable. And I said, so the only way I could do this is if I take this international and drop my license here with you and just take it on the road and build this system myself. And they said, well, I don't know. So I did it. And I said, I will become the attachment specialist across the world. I'm not a generalist with a therapy okay. system. I am an, I'm a specialist. So I teach people where you got broken in childhood, where your ability to connect to other human beings got broken, why you didn't learn that you could share your, your needs with other people, why you think you don't deserve love, or why you think no one on earth is ever going to work in good faith with you, so you have to keep them out. I fix that, and I show people how to fix that in their dating, in their marriage, in their families, with their kids, and I show them how to fix that so that they can be fixed for life and then build the personal life they've always wanted. That is my passion. That's my profession. That is who I am. It's baked into me now. I love it because like we were talking about earlier and um, before we started was it was almost like a therapy session every time I watch one of your videos I'm like oh this guy's great I love his content and I was like oh fuck he's really just <laughs> cut, he's cut into my BS the story yes. I tell myself and I'm like oh but, but I've got this he doesn't um, you know what it's like I by myself justifying it and I can see what you meant about like depression it's like almost learned mm. hopelessness a lot of it because I, yes. I mean, I was depressed, and I remember being on tablets, and then it's they just stopped working after the initial high, because I wasn't dealing with my underlying issues. Right. Is what do you think about that current sort of healing modality? That approach of I'm a bit down in the blue. Okay, well, we'll give you a tablet. You know, there's you said they treat it like a disease rather than a, the symptomology um, right. of the the actual condition. Why do we do that? Is it easier just getting a tablet rather than the resources to give you like time to go in and deal with the bullshit, shall we say? Well, think of it this way. It took me nine years to get my license as a psychotherapist. And that's nine years of training someone has to undertake so that they can be still be middle to bottom level of middle class here in the United States. And there's not many people who want to take on that role. And the mm -hmm. ones who do... And the ones who are great at it tend to go up the ladder and do other things. So it's not that therapy is useless, but you, you're churning out as many therapists here in the United States as you possibly can in nine-year programs and then training them just to the diagnostic and statistics manual. So you're training them to treat diagnoses without telling them what is causing the diagnosis underneath. And then you've got medication providers and you've got all kinds of testers and they are just churning them out as fast as they can because the system is just so bogged down with people suffering. Attachment has got worse through the last hundred years. That's been part of my work is tracking that. But they're, mm -hmm. they're treating and they're learning to diagnoses in the book. They're not learning the core symptoms. So then we really are on a medical system, a, a medical model of, well, what's your diagnosis? Okay, that's it. Well, we might be able to teach you some skills and try to manage that. But what we're going to do is talk therapy where you talk through how you feel. And hopefully over time, you will figure out that you shouldn't feel that way. And then maybe it'll stop. But that's going to take a few years. So in the meantime, here's five different medications for some that are <laughs> solving the problem, some that are cause solving the problem, the solving problem causes. Oh, yeah. And, and here's some side effects. By the way, here's more medications. I remember working. I did. Um, 
Briefly, I did in-home treatment for clients who were so disabled due to mental illness that they couldn't leave their home and other people had given up on them. And I would walk in, some of them would show me their medication lists. Some had 27 medications that they were on. And they'd say, Adam, I don't know what these are doing, but I'm on 27 medications. I said, how many are mental illness and mental health medications? Well, at least 12, but maybe more. And I'm not sure what they're for. The doctor just told me to take some. So 12 medications. Sometimes I'm on anxiety medication. How many? Three just for anxiety. Well, is that helping? Well, no, I'm still so anxious. I can't leave my home. Then why are you still taking three medications for anxiety? Well, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, I'm here to help with that. And and it, it, it was a system of, we will try to help you get better, but we don't know what the root cause is. So we're just going to fumble around and hopefully things will sort of get better. And in the meantime, here's medication. And it's, there's no wonder that people give up on getting better here in the United States. It's, it's, it's a horrible system. I still remember that with them saying like, oh, if you get a side effect of this, we can give you a tablet for that. And you're like, well, you're giving me a tablet to heal me, but you're also then giving me a tablet to heal the tablet that heals me. It's, it, and this is where I found it really strange because as I looked into what you were putting, like your content, and as I started understanding it, like looking going, I do do that. I wonder why I think that. And, you know, you start dialing it in and you're like, this is like some sort of secret sauce. It's like a, a hidden secret, like a hidden level that opens up so much to this. But if you like, how would you define what an attachment is for somebody? Because we always think of attachment as two people dating and attaching themselves to each <laughs> sure. other. Sure. How, what's the sort of clinical definition of it? Or like, how would you describe it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Attachment is the ability to connect to another human being to give and receive love. You start learning this as a child. The moment you are born, when you cry, does mom hold you? Do you get food? Do you get your diaper changed? Do you get snuggled? Do you get kept safe? Are your needs met? If not, why not? The child's brain will start blaming one of two things. Either I don't deserve to get my needs met because there's something wrong with me Mm. and I don't know what it is, but other people see that I'm not a good kid. I don't act right. I don't do the right things. I I don't, I don't, something is wrong with me where they won't love me. So people will abandon me. So I got to be earning approval all the time or I'm going to get hurt and lost and and kicked to the side and no one will love me or they turn it outward. That's terrifying. Uh Or they turn it outward and they say, something's wrong with everybody else around here. Look at these crazy people screaming at each other or hitting each other or walking out or just not connecting at all. Everyone's distant. No one cares about my needs. I'm alone. I got to take care of me. I got to manage other people because they're never going to act in good faith with me. They're just a bunch of angry monkeys who are all screaming at each other, just one step away from throwing a punch. So I'm going to keep myself safe. I'm going to earn approval from other people, not so I won't be abandoned, but so that when I need it, they might act nicely toward me when I need it. So I'm going to manage other people with their feelings. That's avoidant attachment style. And then there's a blend of the two where it's chaotic and you have to be both. You have to earn approval and then stay away from people and nothing's going to keep you safe. That's the disorganized style. And that is learned in early childhood. And it becomes a foundational belief about how the world works and how you relate to other human beings, all human beings. And then you go out in the world and you never question it because gravity pulls things down. Water is wet and you're an unlovable piece of garbage that no one could ever accept. Or everyone else is a faithless creature that is never going to work in good faith with you. So you got to manage everybody. Why would you challenge that foundational belief like gravity? You just don't. You live your life 
And then you hear some guy on the internet say, hey, there's this thing called attachment. And most people say, nah, he's living in a fairy tale. Like you can't really have a life where you trust mm -hmm. other people and you're open and connected. That sounds pretty stupid. What is this guy thinking teaching me this? Then they start leaning into it. Then they start just like you. They start saying, well, hmm, well, maybe there's Maybe there, maybe there's something here. Well, you know, okay, maybe maybe it shouldn't be this bad. Maybe this guy has something, but maybe maybe it's just him. Maybe he's just weird. Let's watch him for a while. And then they reach out to me, and then they want to talk to me, and then they want to learn things, and it slowly transforms into this belief. Hopefully people listening to this podcast right now are, are having that moment of, you know, maybe there is something here. Maybe I'm unhappy because I learned that I, the wrong lesson and I'm never going to get what I want until I unlearn it and learn to connect to a couple of people that I can trust so I can get my needs met and have and give and receive love the way I'm supposed to. That's attachment. It's amazing that like I didn't like, you know, you can identify things that we do, you know, bad events in our past and stuff like that. And at no point do we think that shapes our future. That is what's oh. causing us to, go for that certain kind of girl that looks like the mother or get guys that are like her fat, you know, like, cause mm -hmm. we always hear that. It's like, Oh, you, you know, girls go for their, a guy like their dad, guys go for a girl like their mother. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's weird to think that we are being affected by something like that. And I remember reading going, ah, well, I mean, it's, you know, maybe it just makes people a bit weird or whatever, but you know, you were saying that some people go out and have more sort of like loose sex, because they're looking mm -hmm. for that connection, but they're looking with guys who are not interested in the connection. It's like how people are like they're acting their habits, how they'll maybe be completely lonely or they won't find true love because they're trying to fit. They always need to fix somebody or, and I was like, Whoa. And I was looking at my relationships going, Oh, okay. That's that. That's that. I'm acting like that. And I was like, Oh dear God. So how do we, <laughs> How do we know from a starting point? Should we look at our previous relationship? Should we go, that was that, and I was connecting with her because of that? You know, how do we even know what's like healthy and what's good? Is it worth looking at our previous relationships, or should we be looking at the future? I mean, how what's a good starting point for this? Good question. You know, I have a lot of people come into my coaching for this, and and they ask me the same. Like, all right, Adam, you've you've told you've you've convinced me that something about attachment is real. But how do I know what I'm doing and, and, and how do I know where my styles are? I say, okay, and I'll walk you through what I do with them. I say, tell me about your dating practices lately. We only need to know enough to get an idea of where you're at because the work is going to be, all right, in the future. Like you said, let's build better relationships for the future. But where are we at? Um, what do you usually do? Do you seek approval? Do you do you go in like a nice guy syndrome? Do you go in and you rush in and you tell the girl you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to do this and this and this. And you do all these things to earn her approval, spend all this money on her. And you never, 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 even when she's your girlfriend, ask her for anything. You just do 10 nice things for her and hope she's going to do something nice back for you. And mm. usually in the bedroom. You hope she's going to rip off your clothes, drag you to the bedroom like a, a wild jungle predator and have her way with you. And when that doesn't happen, then the guy gets more and more like frustrated and resentful. Like, I'm trying so hard all the things I know how to do to be good. And why aren't you rewarding me? And that will destroy his relationships over time. But usually what he's going to do is then find a woman who's more distant, more avoidant. Um, and she's 
disconnected. She won't share her needs with him. She doesn't know what she wants out of him. She's just kind of managing his feelings. Um, Women who have anxious attachment styles chase men with avoidant attachments. It's a constant cycle, the two, of I crave approval, but I'm afraid to ever get close because I feel like I don't deserve to be loved. And then chasing somebody who's never going to give you their full approval and full connection, but Hmm. will make you feel good most of the time and then withdraw. So then you panic and feel like it's your fault. So you chase them. Then they panic because you're chasing them about to smother them. So the avoidant person runs away and they end up having an affair. Usually it works eh, for six to 12 months. It works out. Then it starts fighting and they'll start fighting. Then they'll start having problems and they'll start talking about commitment. And then the, the avoidant person gets scared. Then they start running. And then they'll have an affair usually, or they'll, they'll be looking at all kinds of graphic material online, um, or they'll just ghost or they'll get out. And then a two-year relationship goes down the drains. And the other person says, what the heck did I do wrong? I tried to do everything right. I earned so much approval and I never asked for anything. Well, yeah, that was the problem. You, you, you could not be open and honest with the other person about what you needed. You didn't share your needs and they didn't share their needs. If you stopped and listened to it, you guys didn't bond through compatibility. It was all feelings, 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 feelings all the time and chasing approval and running away from commitment. And that was the dynamic. And that's a lot of modern dating. I'm sure you've probably seen people like that, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, when I look at my first ever girlfriend, I remember going mm-hmm. in and, you know, we I just thought this was like kissing, holding hands, all that, you know, just like the usual kind of, And I remember she started like emotional manipulation. You know, it was mm-hmm. always your fault. She always had to have you away from friends. She always had to have you away from, you know, it was like it had to be her, like the whole world, and nothing was ever oh, good wow. enough. You were always flirting with the barmaid. You're always flirting with the... The guy here, and you know, like we'd be in a restaurant mm-hmm. with friends, and she'd be like, "Oh, you're flirting with like the waitress or whatever." You know, and it was, we, and we dated on and off for a few years, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What the hell?" So when I went with my second, who was like my true love at that point, and I remember mm-hmm. her going, being really affectionate, and she was holding my hand. I would get back in bed at night, and she would kiss me, and I'd be like, "What?" I couldn't understand <laughs> true love, if you don't know I mean. I mean, obviously, I'm avoiding yes. like the high school girlfriends and stuff but you know when yeah, yeah, it was yeah suddenly somebody being really nice to me and i was like what the fuck like you know it, it makes, <laughs> I, I couldn't understand like that somebody could actually like me i was waiting for the manipulation waiting for that yes and i see so much of that in other guys is like why are you with her she treats you like mm-hmm. junk and it's because mm-hmm. they have their identity wrapped up in having a relationship do you see a similarity then in guys coming to you like middle children who are always the you know the eldest child is the favorite so they've grown to being shock jocks to try to get attention or mm-hmm. young mm-hmm. the youngest because they'd be controlled telling mm-hmm. them that healthy relationships you know stay away from guys you'll be my little princess so they never go and meet guys do you see similarities in these sorts of things oh good grief yeah i have um I have men come to me who are 30 years old and have never had a girlfriend because they've been so petrified of women or they've had one girlfriend. It was so like your first one was so horrible and controlling that they've said, oh I don't want this ever again. <laughs> and they think that's all how it's going to be. It's like, well, it's just an endless attack. I, what am I going to, I'm not going to live like this, but now they're lonely and they want to have kids. And, and they, they, they hope somewhere out there is a woman who's not going to scream at them every day. And then I've got plenty of guys who come in and say, Adam, 
you know, I've, I've, I've had, you know, I've been with 30 or 40 different women now and it's still not satisfying, but though I let a couple really good ones get away and I'm realizing it's because I had no idea what their love was looking like. I thought they were smothering me. I thought it was a game. I thought it was a trick. Then I turned it down and I treated them like crap. And now, man, I can't believe I did that. Where am I going to find a woman like that again? And, and I got to show them how to do that. There's, it's just a system. But I also get, I get plenty of women who come in who say, Adam, you know, I've only ever had one or two boyfriends and I'm not out running the streets and high and in dark alleys, finding men or on Tinder and everything. I I'm just, I've had one or two boyfriends. I haven't done much in my life, but I don't even know where to find a good man. And I almost feel like I should run a dating program because these people need to find each other. <laughs> but it, it is about showing them number one, what asking them, what do you want? What do you want in life? What are you aiming for? And then number two, what are your core values that you actually live to? And you're probably violating those core values because you have to earn approval from people or you hide them or whatever it is. So you don't really live to your core values. That's part of the reason most guys and most women don't like themselves, don't respect themselves because they violate those things out of their attachment issues. Um, but then you take your life goals and your core values and you start dating with those as your filtering criteria. And you start matching real compatibility based on those instead of who is giving you good feelings. And mm. then as you as you match with compatibility through good values and through, through principles and, and life goals, then you work on the first couple of dates. And I have a program for the first three dates. Then you filter out if you guys are a good match for commitment. And then you can get committed and you filter out who is right and wrong and you filter out pretty fast. Then you through the first month, through the first six months, through the first 12 months, there's different steps you got to do to make sure you guys are a right match. But it is unpacking some of that baggage and saying, okay, you're being nice to me. And I'm really suspicious. Like, where's the knife? You know, where's the camera? Where's the hidden camera? What show am I on? Why are you being this nice to me? Um, it, it's learning to get through those and having those conversations and working as a team. And guys, you can, whoever's listening to this, you know, all, all 6 million of you, um, please don't just settle for the life you've had. Understand that it's a system. If you know the system, you can win. The system is not go on Tinder and find and, and match with six trillion women and hope one of them will go on a date with you and she's magically a great unicorn just learn the system for finding those women who are quiet and at home and date them and women out there who are looking for a good man there's places to find them you're just not going to find them at a bar and you're not going to find them if you just stay home in your slippers all the time either so that's i just want to throw that piece in there because so many people are giving up man you know what i mean i've definitely become like that like i'm i turned 40 <laughs> recently and i remember mm. thinking I would have been married by now. Yeah, I'd have had kids by now. Mm. You know, I, I just always assumed. And I was spent so long taking this passion project where I thought, like the podcast, thinking it's just going to be a bit of fun, to suddenly I can actually do something to help people with this. And then I was thinking, I'll go out next week. I'll go out next week. And before I know it, I was, you know. And I remember watching one of your videos where you said that relationship that you that you loved, that gave you so much from it, it's probably still affecting you now. And I thought, ah. And then I remember back to COVID, I dated um, A, we'll call her, years ago, but 15 odd years ago. And we were only together for about eight months or something like that. And I can remember getting such a high from her. You know, we were so compatible. We did so much together. And I could, she was one of the few people I've dated. I thought, oh, I'm going to get married. And now suddenly COVID hit. And I remember sitting in feeling deeply lonely. And all of a sudden, this memories of her picked up. And oh, yeah. now anybody I date since, 
I judge them on her. And it's almost like I've given up because I can't, I've never found that again. How, how do we start unpacking that kind of baggage? How do we start looking going, oh, that's holding us back. That's the thing that's stopping us being social. Is how do we get to even convince people that it can change? You know, you don't need to give up. Man, the biggest the biggest thing is just getting the information in your head, number one. So thank you for having me on this podcast here for doing this. This is when My people pleasure. will hear the podcast. Thank you. Or or they're on YouTube or they're on TikTok. And I just had a video hit almost a million on TikTok where I was teaching guys how to get their girlfriend to pick a restaurant to eat at instead of saying, I don't care. <laughs> I you pick. That. Um, yeah, that endless gladiator death match of figure out where to eat. Um, when people hear about it, they, they do. They, they just like yourself. They start off. Eh. And then it's in your head and then you experience something and click, ooh, wait a minute. And the evidence starts click, click, clicking and you start stacking it up in your brain. That's the biggest answer for most people. Now, I will say the people with anxious attachment style who believe that they are human garbage and don't deserve to be loved, they pick it up pretty fast. The first time I teach them about attachment, they go, it might not be my fault. And then they just like grab on with both hands and they want everything they can get all at once. Mm -hmm. People with avoidant attachment, I don't know, man. What's this guy selling? You know, is he is he is he going to sell me on a package to fly to his house? He's going to take out my kidneys. Like, what's this guy doing here? Like, love can't be this real. And, and you know, they think I'm Mr. Rogers come again in the flesh. And, and and it is it takes some time. But as they work through it, as they work through it, they start making a couple key changes and they identify what was it about that person that kept me stuck? What was it about that person that I miss? What was it about that person that felt good? Usually, if you're stuck on an X and you're thinking about an X, it's some that's a it's a magical little hormone in your brain called oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is something we are very deficient in if we have bad attachment. Oxytocin does a ton of things in the body for men and for women, especially for women, but men too. One of those things is reducing pain. One of those things is helping to reduce through through uh, GABA, gamma amino biuric acid. Um, that's an inhibitory neurotransmitter that uh, oxytocin helps us release. And that stomps down depression and anxiety feelings. It helps us to produce melatonin to sleep more peacefully at night. Um, so pain suppression, stress suppression, depression suppression, better sleep, everything starts flowing from oxytocin. But if we don't get good love, warmth, bonding, nurturing, openness, acceptance, trust, security in our relationships, all the things that secure attachment would give us and that we don't get when we're, we're distant from people, then we, we start losing all of those benefits. And we think about that one time that we got it from that one person. Mm -hmm. And usually the most, uh, the most manipulative people are the one that can give you the oxytocin the most. They get in a relationship for about seven or eight months. Then they do something called love bombing you. They saturate you with oxytocin at the beginning through attention and care and words and promises and hugs and sex and everything imaginable. Then it's this incredible flashy chemistry because it has to be for what's going to come next. And then it usually falls apart. Six, seven, eight months in is usually where it starts falling apart. But they flood you with oxytocin. You've never got it before. And it's like heroin. It's like opium that you're born addicted to and you've craved it all your life. And now you can't stop thinking about it. And you think about that person for the rest of your life when you're lonely, when you're hurting, when you're lost. This is why people go back to their bad exes. And this is why people stay with a bad partner is because they've been addicted to that person through oxytocin. So you asked me the process of fixing that. Well, you need to learn as you fix your attachment how to bond to your family and friends so that you can bond with them and start releasing that oxytocin on purpose through better conversations, 
better connection, getting your needs met. That's really what you've been avoiding is really avoiding oxytocin bonding with family and friends. Mm-hmm. And as you get that, oh, it's incredible. It's incredible the change that comes over you. And then when you go back into the dating pool, here in the States, we have a saying, never go grocery shopping hungry, right? Because yep. you're going to walk in, you're going to get junk food off the shelf that you're going to take home, you're going to eat it, and you're going to gorge on it, you're going to fill it up, it's going to feel good at first, and it's going to make you sick over time. Same thing if you're starving for oxytocin. Never go dating starving for oxytocin. Same thing. You're going to pick up junk food that's going to make you feel really good at first and then going to make you feel sick over time. Fill up with oxytocin with family and friends, then go out on dating, build real compatibility, and then slowly build oxytocin bonding in when you have the right person that you can actually trust. That's the right method for getting over an ex and for grabbing the right partner. Because you've got this great video about loving yourself, you know, how it's like the most important relationship. And that's something like my mother's always said is, you know, you have to love your own yourself and your own skin before you love somebody and theirs, you know. And it's, I was, I never really understood it till I realized like how much I always tried to help people. Like I always tried to give back. And then I was, I then understood my attachment style was, I was the one that tried to fix people. I was the one that tried to help them. The I always wanted to do things. Um, you know, and people were talking about like love language styles and all that. And I put up with a lot of crap. Probably I should have just gone, nah, it's not for me. How how do we start saying okay, but we're falling in we start loving ourselves again? How do we start before we get to point where, you know, like like take me for instance, like I probably I'm like one of these guys who admits that they probably don't have many friends you know they probably don't have many close friends you know they've got acquaintances but maybe they don't have that social life maybe they've moved to a new city like i've done recently uh maybe they've gone to like they've lost their former friends because they come out of a relationship that wasn't right for them and it was their relationship friends not their actual friends how do we start find building that again how do we start being social how you know without hunting for the dopamine hit how do we find the oxytocin um you know i was about to say how do we find oxy but i'm sure that's a drug um, <laughs> yes but you know how do we start loving ourselves enough to realize we deserve better you know and start mm-hmm. fixing that before we start being social again and meeting new people Absolutely. Good question. So number one, it's very common for men with attachment issues to not have close male friends like that because female friends, we can at least kind of manage and get around and and socially, they're not going to push us. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to call us out on things. Usually male friends are harder for men with attachment issues because they will push us. They will, there will be friction. It will be uncomfortable. There will be tension. There will be confrontations and attachment says every confrontation is death. So don't ever confront, don't ever do that. That's that's what a lot of men are dealing with. So getting out there and building friendships, um, it really begins, like we talked about a little bit briefly, um, finding your core values that you've been violating that make you not like yourself very much. You know, honesty, integrity, loyalty, courage, compassion. Where are you falling short? Usually honesty is a big one. Where are you falling short for the sake of staying safe or the sake of getting approval from other people? Usually not telling the truth, usually being a dishonest person and they hate it. Okay. All right. Let's start there. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I hate myself. Okay. Could you really feel any worse than you do right now? No, I hate myself. Okay. Well then 
What if we took that and started showing you how to open up to other people and just be a little bit more honest? When you open up to two people in your life, let's just find two, right? Your sister and this guy friend that you've had forever that you've never actually opened up to. Um, let's do that. Let's connect you to those people and have a couple clear conversations about how to open up. Okay, so you don't have two people. Well, let's find you some people that are going to connect with you based on those core values. Let's get you connected. Maybe if you're religious, let's get you connected to a more religious or group and not, not just sitting in a pew on Sunday, but maybe you join a men's group at your church, for example, or something like that. Maybe you'd go out and you take a dance class or you go out and you take cooking classes, some community event where you're going to be in a class learning skills with other people and you're going to be meeting them and engaging with them. And then two or three times in, you could say, hey, you know what? I've enjoyed my interactions with you. Would you ever like to spend time outside this group together? Hey, all right. That's pretty easy. Now you have something that you could do as friends that isn't sitting in a pub drinking. Cool. Let's do that. You could hang out and cook at home instead. Great idea. Um, building that out, though, that is how you slowly do that process is by finding people who share your values, by finding people who are lonely, by finding people who are doing your hobbies or interests, even where we're in a group setting. And then by finding your respect for yourself by refusing to violate those values anymore and then choosing to open up to a couple people about the even the insecurities that you feel. Just say, hey, heads up. You know, you may not know this about me, but I'm a pretty anxious person. And uh, I have a hard time opening up to people, but I would, I'm working on being way more honest. So if I, if I have something I need to say, is it okay if I say that to you? And can we have an honest relationship together? Can you still be my friend knowing this about me? Ooh, that's terrifying for most people to have that conversation. Definitely. But if you have that with your sister or with your best friend or, or with your partner or whoever you might know, if you have that, that's what I call the I'm an anxious person speech. It pops you open. And it gives you some oxytocin when they accept you. They say, yeah, of course. I already knew this about you, but yeah, of course I'll accept you. Oh, oxytocin. And then as you do it again and test them again next time, and then you're a little more honest next time than you might normally have been. <clears throat> you're a little bit more honest and you open up and you say, hey, um, you know, hey, I, I actually need this. Could we do this instead? This would make me really happy. Yeah, we could do that. Or, hey, you know, I have this problem. Could you help me? Yeah, I'd love to help you. <gasps> oxytocin again. And you start getting those oxytocin releases. And then you open up and you have some deeper conversations and you, you share a little bit more than you normally would. Then you panic and you don't speak to them for three weeks. But when you speak to them again, okay, it turns out they actually liked that you opened up and they didn't hate you for it. Oh, okay, good. And then you open up and you start building that oxytocin bond. And then nature takes its course. And your brain says, this feels incredible. Let's do more of this all the time. And it starts leading you in that direction. So it's it's easier and easier and easier mm -hmm. and easier till eventually you're doing it without thinking about it. And you feel wonderful and life has changed. That's the process, my friend. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. I love it. I love how like it's it removes the the terror from it because I remember my mom used um not my mom sorry a guy at school used to say to me 
I hate Ian because he he would go out and he can make a friend wherever we go. He's always me. And then I can remember thinking, when did that change? When did it change? But when I wasn't social, when I couldn't connect with people, and I would look back and it was like that relationship. I became a different person because I put up with stuff, and I was like, whoa, you know. And then I was watching your videos about like finding like true love and connection, and you were attaching to this style of behavior. I was like, whoa, that really just. It opened up so much, and then it got me excited. But how? What level of resistance, initial resistance, should we expect? You know, is this fear of being confrontational? Is it fear of? Oh, it's how, it's how, sheer how, terror. Oh, it's sheer terror. Because you, you think this stretches back to one year old, two year old, three year old. Think of, think of a kid who's two years old and they truly believe no one will ever love them. And if they ever get revealed as a worthless piece of garbage, people will abandon them. Well, that child is going to die. Or if the child says no one is ever going to act in good faith, everyone's crazy and they all hurt each other. I don't want to be around these people. Well, then that child thinks they're going to die if they ever get exposed. So you are going to go out in the world. Now, your child's brain, it, it welded abandonment or, or being found out or being exposed with death. It mm -hmm. connected those in your brain at that age, and it has not unwelded. That's why the anxiety is there all your life. And the closer you get to being exposed, the closer you feel, the more you start to panic. As you do this, you are now going to do the one thing. Your brain says, this will kill me. We're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And your brain freaks out because you are now going to get yourself killed over something as stupid as trying to bond with someone who loves you. And it's, it's, you're going to go do this and your brain will freak out at you. And I have a very dear friend that, um, I walked through this process with, um, his name is Andre. I did an interview with him on my YouTube channel about how he got me started and he runs my, the creator talent agency that runs my brand and helps me now. But I remember walking him through this and I said, Hey buddy, you, you need to go open up to your friend, to our, to our other, to this other guy. And he said, Oh no, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure that guy accepts me. I said, pretty sure. He said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mostly think that he probably likely does probably accept me for the most part. And I said, buddy, do you hear all those qualifiers that your brain thinks he might, but you don't know for sure. And that's where the terror is coming from. Well, okay. And he tells this, this great story of he went there to his friend and he took his friend out on the balcony and said, Hey, come out on the balcony. I want to talk to you. And his friend said, oh, okay. So he went on the balcony and they were standing there side death silence. He's just trying, he's trying to open up to his friend for the first time. And he said, they stood there in deathly silence. So then he couldn't do it. So he went and said, I'll be right back. He went and he pounded three shots as fast as he could. Then he came back out and stood there and just more deathly silence that he said. He Then he just looked at his friend and, and said, do you want to be my friend? And it all came out in a rush of like high pitch. Couldn't even. And the guy said, what did you say? And he said, do you want to be my friend? And the guy said, yes. <laughs> Aren't we already <laughs> friends? And he was like, how many drinks have you had? And my friend was said, Andre was just, oh, and just like, he is actually my friend. I knew finally at that moment that he was my friend. And he opened up yeah. and said, you know what? There's sometimes, man, I, I don't feel it. Sometimes I don't think it. Sometimes I'm worried people will leave me. Sometimes it's, I feel like it's what I do for people that keeps them around. And he was like, no, I'm with you because you're a cool guy. And I actually like you. And I kind of knew that you were distant, but hey, thanks for telling me. Yeah, I would love to be your friend. Oh, and he was just, buddy Andre just tells me the story. He was like collapsing on the balcony, just exhausted and relieved that he was accepted. And he did this with a couple of people and like changed, changed his life. 
doing this. It, it, that's the level of terror you should expect, which is why most people hire a coach because then they want to talk to me for an hour and say, really, really, really? Should I really do this, Adam? Like, is this, is this going to kill me, right? Should I really do it? And then I'll get text messages like, really, really? Should I really? And then the emails come in and they're I'm like, just go do it. And they go do it. And they're like, oh, Adam. They come back the next week like, oh, I can't believe that went so well. Like, they didn't spit on me. They didn't throw a rock at me. They didn't jump out the window to escape from my love. Like, they accepted me. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. And, and it is unconditioning the brain from that, from that childlike terror that no one will ever love you. That is the level of resistance. That's why people don't fix it on their own. That's why people need to fix it now so that they don't live with that fear for the rest of their lives. I love how we're into this point where, like, sometimes we need a coach to tell us to do something, even though it's maybe something we know deep, deep, deep down that it's what we need to do. It's almost like we're so used to being told by a teacher, authority figure, to go and do that, and then it like it completely changed my life. But we need that. It's almost like we need an expert to guide us. You know, it's like yes, absolutely. Well, you think of it when an athlete, when an athlete gets injured. They go see a doctor, but when an athlete is just hitting a wall and once they, they can see what they want to do, but they don't know how to do it. They hire a coach who knows how to do it, who has done it and who has, who can walk them through the steps and then drive them to that point. You can see it, but that you don't see the three steps in between that you need to take to get there. It's dump, 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 gen, jump. It's not leap from here and then break your face. So a coach's job is to come in and say, here's the three steps you've missed. Here's your performance improvement. Here's the boost. Yes, you can make this. I will walk with you through it. No, you are not going to die. That's the purpose of having a coach at, at whatever you're going to get coaching for. That's exactly the purpose. And, and people need people, man. Working with a coach sometimes is part of fixing the, the, the attachment because you learn to trust. You even trust your coach that they're not going to drive you into the ground. So how do we, if, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who's never trusted somebody or any time they've truly tried to be open and they've told uh, like a parent about something bad they did, oh. or they told an ex-girlfriend they want to split up oh. and you know, it caused all this deep emotional pain. How do we learn to like be open like that or phrase how we're feeling? Or Because a lot of guys kind of like, I want to watch the game. Yeah, cool. Got a beer. Yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> they've never had that. Oh, I'm worried about feeling lonely. I'm what, you know, like, that kind of deep level people will go oh no 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 how do we get yeah don't do that <laughs> how do we phrase this initially like like loneliness depression uh -huh. you know was it something like uh 72 people are killing themselves a week you know guys who might be strong and tough and deal with all their uh -huh. stuff their own you know that bullshit that's holding people back how how do we start being more open and vulnerable in our communication to do these kind of conversations? Good question. Oh, great question. Because men come into my coaching practice and they say, all right, Adam, I've heard you say that you, you want me to be vulnerable. I would rather die. <laughs> I say, all right, what does vulnerable look, look like to you? Well, to most men, being vulnerable and sharing their pain and sharing their experiences means I'm just going to sit there. Then I'm going to sob uncontrollably, and then I'm going to lay on the floor like a child and try to tell this person how sad I feel, and then they're going to look at me, and then they're going to spit on me, and then they're going to walk away because they don't know what to do about me, and they think I'm pathetic. Yeah, if I wouldn't want to do that either if that's what vulnerability was. That hmm. is being pathetic. That is falling apart into pieces and having no purpose. Yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. Here's what you do, men. 
have a solution minded approach towards sharing your your vulnerability. So like my buddy Andre did, right? Um, and like I train men, you go in and you say, all right, buddy, Hey, I want to run something past you. You let them, you alert them. I want to run something past you and get your feedback on it. So you let them know that there's a purpose of what you're doing and what you want from them. You know, I'm, I want to run something by you. It might be a little mushy, you know, just bear with me. You know, I, I am trying to get feedback and work through something. Can I get your help working through something? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then take a sip of his beer. Of course. So you say, okay. Um, here is something I'm dealing with. I've, here's what I've learned, blah, 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 attachment, feelings, you know, all the, all the stuff that you got to talk about, whatever it might be. Here's my feelings. Here's these challenges I'm facing. Um, then you lay out what you expect, why you're sharing this again and what you expect from the other person, what you need. You know, I'm, here are these problems I'm facing. Here are these things about myself to get through this. I've learned that I need to open up to people on purpose and get acceptance from them. So the reason I have shared this with you is just to hear from you in your own words. Can you let me know, like, can you still be my friend knowing this about me? And if so, cool. What do you expect from me in our relationship so that I can calm down and not worry about abandonment or missing something up or destroying our friendship accidentally? What do you need from me? And can you still be my friend? And you make it that clear and concise with a purpose and with exact instructions of what you need from the other person so that it is solving a problem. Then you can respect yourself because you're going into this to solve a problem. The other man is going into this or woman or whoever you're working with is there and knows what to do. You're not just on their lap and they're like, what do I do? They're, you're telling them so they won't react awkwardly. And then there's a magical hormone called vasopressin. Actually, I think in the UK, they call it vasopressin. Um, <laughs> I've learned that surprise one. Um, tomato, tomato. <laughs> I've, I've learned that one. Um, vasopressin is the bonding hormone released when we solve challenges together and accomplish mm. a mission together. Okay. Then by doing this, men or you, you will bond with him and he will bond with you by solving this problem together. You will actually be bonding better while having that conversation. So it's oxytocin and vasopressin at the same time, bonding together the two of you so that you come out of it tighter as, as mates instead of just like, well, whatever, it was this dumb conversation. You actually trust each other better. And then he can reciprocate later on and say, hey, remember you talked about that thing? Yeah, I, I, I think that might be me a little bit too sometimes. Ah, okay. That's, that's how that game goes. Go into it with a plan, explain the reason, explain the problem, explain the, explain the solution, Ask them for their assistance in solving that problem, solve it, move on with your life. That's how you be vulnerable to somebody else. Vulnerability does not mean just crying. Vulnerability means sharing something painful and asking for assistance in solving it. That is what men need to remember. I love that. I love how you like, you know, you're not one of these guys who just talks around the subject or like high up in the clouds. You give concrete action steps of like, here's the framework, here's how to do it. It doesn't really change, you know, you're just Here's how not to avoid. Here's how to sorry. Here's how to avoid slipping back into your old programming. You know, you can do it if you do this, this, and this. And yeah. I was, I think, was it your Twitter? There was a a Twitter chain that you put on, and one of the comments was about people who had made a mistake, and it was like eating them up. It was destroying them. Mm. And I know a lot of guys who write to me and said, like, I did this, I did that. Um, I remember one of the guys I spoke to, he was on about how in prison you're just treated as a number. You're never a person. Yeah. You're just going to be a bad guy who's done a bad thing. And, yeah. you know, that's it. You're going to be in jail for the rest of your, your days back and forth. And he was mm -hmm. saying that just getting somebody to write a CV would change their life. Just getting somebody to do a job application for them because it would open them up that there was somebody who cared. 
how do we come to terms with, I don't know, like say somebody's done something like a assault or I was going to say, I don't know, like that kind of thing, but it's eating them up and then yeah. they attach themselves to that thing of, I'm unlovable, I'm never going to meet somebody. You know, maybe it's something they've never been caught for um, and they can't go to their mother or their sister or whoever and say, I did X. How do yeah. we come to terms with that because I find a lot of guys write to me and say, I've got secrets that I can never tell. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make you a bad person. You did a bad thing, but it doesn't make you a bad person. But I never know how to, I don't know, like how how do we start dealing with that so they can learn that they can be loved? Because I'm sure that creates its own attachment problems. Oh, it, it cycles right in with whatever attachment problems were there in the first place, usually. Absolutely. Um, I will say this. Most people don't know this about me, but my earliest, earliest, earliest work in psychology was working with death penalty inmates. Um, mm-hmm. People, I was, I was placed in one of the worst facilities in the United States um, for people up for the death penalty for multiple mur- and most hardcore, brutal murders you can imagine. So I was used to working with people who had murdered people and many of them did repent and they were truly horrified at what they had done after the fact. And, and, and they were haunted by it and they'd be stuck in their cell just thinking about it. And they'd pull them out once a week to have a session with me. And it was trying to piece these men back together just for whatever time they had left on this earth. And I've worked with a number of correctional facilities, correctional uh, cases and inmates and former inmates and all kinds of people who've, who've done wrong things and truly we're sorry for them, but we're haunted by them. So if anyone listening to this has killed less than 10 people, I, I have experience working with people worse than you. So this is what I tell them. Number one, this won't make it easier, but it is a truth that needs to be acknowledged. If you are horrified by what you did, then you are no longer the kind of person who could do what you did. You are now a different person. Keep that in mind, as horrified as you are by that experience. If you would rather die than do it again, then you are now a person who would rather die than do what you did. So you are already fundamentally different than you were then. As far as living to it and making amends, there is something called living amends is the only real thing that you can do. Make what you did mean something so that someday if you meet that person or you meet their family or you meet them in the afterlife, you could say, here is the story did not end there. Mm -hmm. Here is what that did for the rest of the story for all the people in my life, all the people I met, all the things that I did were impacted by it and it meant something. I am not here to say it meant it made up for it but it meant something and it brought so much good to other people. That is even further proof that you have lived a life around goodness instead of a life around what you were. Now you could give up. You could just say there's too much work. I can't undo it. No, you can't. But what you can do is take that thing that happened and help 10 other human beings across the course of your life whose life is fundamentally better because of that terrible thing that happened. You can transform 10 other lives in any fashion, mm-hmm. 10 other lives, change their lives, and it doesn't make up for the one life you hurt, but it means something. Live to that purpose until the end of your life and help as many people as you can so that you can hold your head up and at least then you have a chance to forgive yourself for the goodness that you did for those people. And maybe you'll receive forgiveness from the person that you did that for, because it 
meant something. I love that because like I was always amazed that these guys could write to me, but they couldn't tell the person that was closest to them, you know. And I mean, we've all done stupid things and bad things and you know, and it, it's getting to that it was getting to that point of like they were like, Well, I don't see myself as valuable. I may as well just jump off a bridge and I was just like and I probably wasn't as great as helpful as I could have been now after oh, interviewing yeah. amazing it's, it's guys hard. like you. And I remember Rob Kelly, um, Dr. Rob Kelly, addiction specialist. Actually, he was saying, this, I don't want to know what's bothering you. I want to know the stuff that you're taking to your grave, the stuff that's destroying you from within. And I remember thinking, I could never tell him what I did. And I'm sure he probably knows 50, 60, 70 bad things, worse things, you know? And it's oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I love how, like, in your work that you deal with that sort of level. You know, you show people that no matter where your starting point, you have a good start, you can have a good finish point. But why are things like, like pickup? I know you're not a big fan of pickup. I initially uh -huh. could never meet girls and I was like, got into it and oh, you get told how to do things. You get told how to do that. Uh -huh. I then realized I was being a caricature. I was being somebody else. I was never, I wasn't myself. And the girl saw through it. I was inauthentic as shit. I was ruined <laughs> at it. Why is pick up? Why is like um, these like threesome apps and all these sorts of things, um, polyamorous relationships? Why why do we fail when we go down that road to find connection? The easy sex, the you know, like going and meeting girls in clubs that are blazing, and you know, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to date them, but I'm going to sleep with them to get my mm -hmm. my fill. And you know, why mm -hmm. do guys like that always become and genuinely unhappy? How why is pickup like that a bad thing? If you start with the belief that you can never truly connect to another human being, and that your entire world is going to be a series of transactions of I'm going to make other people so happy that they will either do what I want or they won't leave me. Your whole world comes down to a ledger sheet about how much you have done to make other people like you and just pushing buttons. The whole world then feels like a video game that you can never stop playing because you have to keep everybody's meters full everywhere you go. It's exhausting. Hmm. When you learn pickup game and red pill and stuff like that, it's just a different system. It doesn't teach you to stop and connect human to human with a woman and build an intimate, loving bond. It says, do these things and it will make her, you know, wet all over the place. And then she will just be crazy for you and she'll drag you into the bathroom and then she'll pull in five of her friends and you'll be under a pile of naked women before you know it. And it's, it's like, it's, it's not, that's not how humans are supposed to work. So yeah. no matter how advanced you make the video game, no matter how fun you make the video game, at the end of the day, you are just a man living and pushing buttons and getting fake rewards that just plunge you full of dopamine, but give you nothing. At the end of the day, you don't have human contact. You don't have human bonding. You have no human impact. You have no human legacy. When you die, you will have left behind a bunch of naked women who will move on to the next guy. And that's it. You don't believe, you don't leave behind people whose lives are fundamentally changed. You don't leave behind people who say that was a man of honor. And because he lived honorably, I will live honorably. You yeah. don't leave behind kids or adopted kids or, or nephews or nieces that you helped raise into adulthood. You don't leave behind lives transformed. That's human impact. And when you just chase endless feelings, there's nothing. That's hedonism. That's pointless. You, that is not a life. That is a simulation. 
that is the simulation model of a fake life with no connection. So men who just chase simulation, they're never happy. It's only when they stop and connect and build deep, intimate connections with family and friends and a partner who loves them. That's the only time they really find true fulfillment. Because I felt like uh, an addict, you know, it's like, I need another hit, I need another hit. And I, oh, and then I would want them to be like, let's go and have dinner, let's go do that. And they'd be like, uh-huh. whoa, 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 you know, this is just casual. Uh-huh. And I would uh-huh. suddenly see myself like aching for commitment from somebody that I knew yes. who was not interested. It was, so how do we start finding true love then? How, you know, because I remember you saying attachment issues will um, cause the majority of affairs. How do we. Uh-huh find that person because i mean you've you met your lovely wife you got four kids but you got engaged mm-hmm. like super quick and stuff and yeah. it's such an amazing uh-huh. story that i think a lot of people go whoa but you're <laughs> yes, saying it's, it's doable how do we then find oh, yeah. somebody like that and have that level of connection because you were saying that you interviewed each other on your core values on your to make sure you're right and i i loved how you uh-huh. said you're interviewing for marriage when you date no one thinks like that. I love I love yeah. that kind of approach. How do we start finding our own version of true love? I know it's a big question. <laughs> no, it's a good one. And here's a very simple answer. Is you approach marriage with a person and dating with a person the same way you would approach co-founding a business. Imagine you are co-founding the business of marriage. Would you want to find a co-founder for your business drunk in the bathroom at a bar? Or would you like to find the co-founder for your business in church beside you or spending time with their family quietly mm. or in a in a good self-improvement class or a dancing class or somewhere fun or somewhere wholesome? Where would you like to find them? What would you like to look for in a business partner? What kind of qualities, what kind of traits? Would honesty be a big, important deal in a business partner who's going to be managing money with you and have your back and managing issues through a crisis? Well, probably. Okay. Well, let's check for all those traits that would be useful in a business partner. And let's make sure that we're setting things up. Would you just grab a business partner and immediately give them $10,000 and say, go find somebody to, to manage our office? I'm not even going to look around. Just here, have all my money. Here, here's my wallet. Within moments of meeting them. Would you just sign a contract within seconds of meeting them? What would you do? How would you handle that? Handle dating the same way you would approach a co-founder of a business. If you do that, you will move slower. You will ask deeper questions. You will really look at the logistics of how it's supposed to line up. And then they will treat you differently as well. And you will filter out people who aren't wanting to co-found a good business. And you will filter in people who are wanting to co-found the right business with you. That is how you handle commitment and marriage and love is you look at it like business i love it i love i love how like easy it was and i remember hearing that story the first time and going you were you're talking about marriage and like the first or second date i was like what you're asking about the value and i was thinking well yeah why would you want to go down that relationship path with somebody who was never going to get married or who didn't value the same things as you and i was like whoa it yeah it I, that's what scared me was that there isn't been somebody like you who has dealt with our childhood to give us a better future in that level. And well, I mean, are you okay for time just now? So I've, I know we've been talking oh, an hour. Sure. I've, prob- I've probably got another 10 minutes. I think it feels like, t- it feels like 10 minutes. Honestly, it's, I, can I know see it how does. you've this changed lives. 
So we've definitely got to get you back on. But what what skills would you want to give the future generation, the kids, the mm, nephews, mm. the new dads to pass on to them? How do we start mm. improving society after just you know generation after generation to make kids better? Absolutely. So I have a vision for the next hundred years of how this is all supposed to go. And, you know, obviously the world's just going to fall right in line, but I'm raising my four kids. And the biggest skill I teach them is good faith, good faith actions in other people, to give good faith to other people and to expect genuine good faith from other people, mm-hmm. by and large, and to cooperate with people in that regard. Good faith and cooperation. And if they can do those two things while filtering out the extreme cases who won't work in good faith with them, that is how people can rebuild this world. Because if you have good faith with other people, then they can trust you. If you believe that they will have good faith with you and know how to filter out the extreme cases who won't, then you can by and large be relatively open with other people, talk about your needs, ask for their needs, meet each other's needs and take care of each other. And if you can cooperate then you can accomplish more things together than you could ever accomplish alone, ever. And that good faith and cooperation is the absolute, absolute mandatory piece that we need to rebuild this world. Because when you look around, nobody's cooperating with each other. Nobody is giving good faith and nobody is expecting good faith in return. That's Those are the three biggest problems right now in this world. If we fix that, that's when it starts coming back together. I love it because I mean I'm I'm an uncle now. My sister's got three young kids, and I can see them changing. And thankfully, they're both like both of the nephews are outgoing, and they're going to want to take on the world. And I look back and go, how can I make sure they never end up like I was? What can I impart on them? How can I inspire them? And I love how there's that level of your work as well as how we can stop passing our BS on to the next generation. How we can help. And how we can inspire kids and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I'd love to have you back on and do a round two because I think we're just scratching the surface and so much in this. But <laughs> what would you want people to take from this as a kind of like a message from this? Is it mm-hmm. that your childhood is affecting you and to deal with that baggage for better success in the future? Or what would you want them as a message for this or podcast? That's a good one. Um, I will shift toward the future instead. If you are hearing all of this and it sounds like you, then you, like most people, will believe you cannot change. And that is the one message I want you to take from this, is that no matter where you are at in this believing, no matter where you are at in in hurting and feeling alone and feeling that you don't deserve love or that you'll never find love, I want to tell you I work with people in their 70s who are changing right now. I want to work with I want to tell you that I've worked with people who've killed multiple people and still find that pathway through and change and build a better life. I want to work, tell you that I work with people in their 60s who say I never had kids and I don't know what the purpose of life is now and we find it. There is never a point where it's too late as long as you are breathing. If you just believe even a tiny amount that you can change and you get someone who can guide you through the steps and you find the solutions, that's all you need. You just need to understand what to do and you can do it. You can mm-hmm. change and you can find the better pieces and build a better life no matter where you are. So if you feel like it's hopeless, please don't feel that. It is not hopeless, not by a long shot. I love that because we guys sitting just now feeling that. And I love how there's guys like you out there who are giving that hope. You're 
you're given that teaching that ability so until we can kind of um get another one how would you want people to follow you you know how can they use the things like the attachment circle because you've got oh. fantastic videos on finding purpose and you know get inspiring and relationships and all this amazing stuff how do we start finding all the, the good stuff that you have Thank you for that. Yes. So my website is adamlanesmith.com. That's lane like a road, Adam Lane Smith. Um, I am best found a couple places on TikTok is a good place. I'm at attachment bro. I've got something like 300,000 followers on there right now. I got a video hitting almost a million on there. I do live streams on there all the time. I got my YouTube channel at Adam Lane Smith. And I'm on Instagram at attachment Adam. I'm on there too. Check all those places out. Depends what kind of content you like, but I'm there. Shoot me an email, shoot me a DM, contact me. Just say, Hey Adam, I heard you on Ian's podcast. It was amazing. You and Ian were great. Ian's got great hair. He looks fantastic over there. <laughs> oh, I don't and I want to learn about attachment. <laughs> and and I'll talk to you and, and we'll figure this out. Like there's, there's hope. Just reach out, get connected and change your life. That's, that's how it goes. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.